Welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast. This officially launches season two of the podcast, and we have a lot of really great episodes coming up, starting with our newest team member, Monica, her story today. Coming up in a in couple weeks, we've got Caring for the Caregiver, uh, episode on divorce, death and dying and infertility. So lots of really great things coming up. We're glad that you are with us. We hope that you will share this, invite your friends, your pastors to listen to it and join us as we venture through these important conversations. Hello and welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast where we seek to educate and equip pastors and congregational care ministers to develop and implement congregational care ministry and provide ongoing training and resources to existing care ministries. I'm Reverend Joy Dister-Dominguez, one of the national team members, and I am so excited to introduce to all of you our newest national team member, Monica Childers. And Monica, we're so glad to have you and and welcome. This is your first podcast episode. Thank you, Joy. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited about this opportunity. Well, we um, are just excited. You're such a great addition to the team. And um, I can't wait for the listeners to get to know you. And um, I can't wait to get to know you better as well. Uh, We had one webinar together and I I learned a little bit about your story. But today we are going to continue with the power of your story part three. So back in season one, we recorded uh, part one and two. And we just thought it'd be really appropriate to now record part three with Monica. So Monica, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Joy, I am an ordained deacon serving in the Western North Carolina Conference um, at a church as associate pastor at St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. And I am married for 26 years now to my husband, David, and we have two children who are getting ready to be married. So, um, which is awesome. Yes. A new chapter in your life. Yes. That's exciting. That's exciting. Well, um, the power of your story, obviously, with a long marriage and two children, you've got lots of stories, I'm sure. And the thing that uh, we talked about in the first two um, parts of the power of your story is how our story connects us to our past and certainly gives meaning and purpose to our present and who we are, how we serve, how we love others and how we love God. And our story offers us hope uh, for our future, but as, as well as offers hope to others who may find themselves in a similar situation or can draw strength from our story. And so, uh, Monica, I, I wonder if you could tell us an important story in your life, perhaps um, a, a time when something big happened or there was a big shift in your life and something that has really helped define who you are today. Absolutely, Joy. I grew up in a large family. Uh, my grandmother was one of eight. My grandfather was one of eight on my mother's side and my father's side. And so on my father's side, I have a great aunt um, who always invited the family over for big dinners, formal dinners. And my family, uh, my specific family, didn't have the means to dress and to be around the same people that um, were around 
in this dinner party to say socioeconomically. And so my mom made all my clothes all my life. And um, so on occasions we would be invited and my cousin who was my same age um, would have the nicest dress on and I would have this dress my mom made and like Mm -hmm. a calico print or something. And Mm -hmm. I was a little bit heavier than my cousins and my hair was short. It wasn't long with curls and coming from this Southern family that I think there was an expectation that as a child, I didn't know anything about nor probably understood. But as I, I, as I grew, I've come to understand that they shunned me because of that. Mm -hmm. And it made, it left a scar on my life thinking, wow, um, why am I not accepted? And Mm. it never appeared to me, it never occurred to me really till later that this left a scar, but it also helped shape me to think, I don't want other people to think that way. I don't want other people Mm. to feel that way. So it, it, it ignited something in me to love people beyond a place of physical or um, visual, but to get to know them. And Mm. so that is a a big part of my heart because it's a big part of my story. And actually it it landed me in a place um, that groomed my calling later on um, as well. And so that Mm. moment, I, I feel like it's come to the forefront of everything I do in ministry, that people are number one. Sure. And when you think back to those interactions, is there one interaction from your family that that really stands out over the others? Or um, was it just a series and that's how you always felt? There, There is one, um, one specific occasion where they had a, a girl's tea and um, I was specifically not invited. And oh, that made me feel so bad. I remember crying. I remember going down this path thinking that I was never good enough. And, and I attributed mm-hmm. it to my weight or my looks or, you know, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the outward appearance. And, you know, it took me years to figure out, no, that's not that's not who I am. Uh, that I am sure. so much more than what you see on the outside, that I'm mm. more than what somebody may just look at and say, oh, I, I think this person's this or this. Um, yeah. I, I realized that I was a child of God, that I had so much more to offer. Did you realize it in that moment or has it been the years of processing? It to took years. <laughs> it mm-hmm. took years mm-hmm. of processing for sure. And I, you know, when I finally, it was like the light bulb went on is I was working in the church and um, this specific pastor didn't care for one of the youth in the church because they had a past and they had some uh, baggage that they, they had to take care of in their life, but they still were for, in my eyes, were a child of God. They were, they still were there. Um, for us to love on them and they wanted to kick them out of the church and everything in me bubbled up from that moment it was like it took me back to that place and I said no and 
And I actually ended up leaving that church over it. But I just, it was so hard to navigate that. But when it came to the forefront, it became healing because I realized then why I love people so much. And it was from a hurt, but that God had really blessed me with um, in the long run. Yeah, I'm actually I'm working on my sermon uh, for next week, and I'm using a Richard Rohr quote, and he says, from your hurt and your pains, you either, I'm paraphrasing, from your hurts and your pains, you can either transmit it or you can transform it. And what you've done from thinking back to just like that that incident of not being invited to the tea, right, that tea party, you've you've transformed that hurt and that pain. And then you see other people in that, that same experience and, um, and you're standing up for them. And, um, I'm, I'm just proud of you for, for recognizing that that's, that's huge when you can, when you can see that. And sometimes it just takes a while to really, um, have something happen that triggers something from our, the past. Um, wow. Absolutely. It, it did take me years to, to go through that and, I appreciate your words, um, Joy. Um, and I also think too, I just think of the image of the tea party being at the table and how much um, that's so deeply rooted in our theology of, of having the open table and having, you know, Jesus welcoming all of, all of his disciples, all of us to the table. And yet you had that experience of, of not being welcomed and how you immediately thought, like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Um, I wonder if you, have you had that, those, have you had that connection um, to your theology? Absolutely. Um, one part, especially as a deacon, when serving communion, being able to serve everybody and look in their eyes and see Jesus in them as much as, you know, Jesus is in the elements is huge for me. Um, It's like everything that I do is undergirded by this beautiful grace of of Jesus and how it's extended to all people and that it Mm -hmm. is open to all people. And um, I I love serving uh, in that way. And it's, it's amazing how a broken piece of your life can be the most healing and the most rewarding. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that it's taken years and years. Um, What are some intentional steps of healing that you've taken? Intentional steps, um, doing centering prayer and really getting to Mm. understand and unpack my soul with God. Just resting Mm, with God is, is one, one crucial part of, of my spiritual uh, walk and discipline that I try to adhere to. And then sitting down and naming, working with a a spiritual director and that helps me name those places because um, for a long time, I didn't understand why do I do the things I do and working with a spiritual director, just having those conversation, just allow them to bubble up. And, And in that the Holy spirit just worked and I didn't realize it until those things started bubbling up that what was really happening and not that I didn't experience them or not that I didn't recognize it. I think they're 
you just navigate your life and you just keep moving on and moving on and you don't really deal with the things at those moments. And then it comes out later. And as I sat with it, it wasn't anything catastrophe in my life. Like it wasn't anything like major that happened. It, it was just a process of saying it's not well with my soul. And I want to figure out what's where I'm going. I want to be the best leader I can be. And in those conversations is when it all bubbled up and it all made sense. Mm. Oh, this is why this happened. And this is why, you know, I'm able Mm -hmm. to do this today. This is what undergirds that and the joy with it. It was really freeing to say, oh, this is why I love people is because I, I realized that God loved me more than, than the physical stuff. Like he loves me for me because I'm a child of God. Mm. Mm, I love that. I love that. We hope that you're enjoying this episode from The Caring Congregation. Check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com, for additional resources and information on how you can join us for an upcoming webinar or host your own seminar to equip your care ministry team and pastors. We also have uh, new books out for our Care Minister's Manual and Implementation Guide released by Abington Press, and you can purchase those through Abington, Cokesbury, or Amazon. Now, back to our conversation. When you say you had that feeling of really the opposite of it is well with my soul, what is not well with my soul, what does that feel like for you? Is that um, something physical? Is it um, um, emotional, um, spiritual? Is it, is it, um, uh, do you feel it in your shoulders, in your stomach, in your feet? Where do you, where do you feel that? It's interesting you ask that because, you know, in centering prayer, you feel you know, if you, if you sit long enough, you'll feel what's happening in your body. And there's just this uncomfortable uh, point that you, you get to, and you're going, Ugh, like my shoulder just has a cramp in it or, you know, something. Yeah. And it's almost like your spirit gets to that point and you're going, mm-hmm, Ew, mm-hmm. something's just not right. And when I go to centering prayer, it, it just allows me to sit and be, um, I'm one that is busy a lot. And I have to make intentional time to do that because the wrestling within your your body is can be very exhausting and you will feel it physically. I'll, I'll never forget. I'll give you the specific time. I was sitting in a room and we were doing spirit, uh, centering prayer and I had to be really quiet, you know, and you're praying and you're going to God and you're, you've got your word that you're saying over and over and over you're, to focus you. And I am sitting there and my body literally tenses up and it was like, I don't want to do this. And it was almost like spiritual warfare with my body. And I was Mm. like, what in the world? And it was so uncomfortable and I wanted to fidget and I wanted to move. And I was like, no, I can't. And I kept going back to that word to center myself. And after the 20 minutes, it was like my body was so relaxed for the first time and I didn't realize how much tension and, and things that were going on. And I, and at that point it was kind of an eye opening. Wow. There's some forces within me that are, they're trying to fight what really God wants me to, 
the joy mm-hmm. and the rest that God really wants me to have. Wow. Crazy. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just think like, that's, that's the Holy spirit, like trying to calm you down and trying to, trying to center you in which the, the purpose of centering prayer. And um, I'm so glad that you didn't just give in to that restlessness, but you were able to kind of hang in there. I think so often um, we, we try to pray or we try to be still and it can be discouraging when at first, you know, we're not succeeding, we're not being successful at it. Um, but just really sticking with it like you did um, for, for those who are not, uh, familiar with centering prayer, um, how can they get involved? Where can they learn more? Um, and how can they try print, uh, centering prayer? Um, you can just Google centering prayer, but the contemplative prayer.com, uh, you can go on there. Uh, there's so many resources out there. Um, Richard Rohr uh, has a beautiful um, information out there. Then you have, um, there's, there's so many books. There's an app, which is really cool that it will chime and do it. It's called contemplative prayer and uh, you can set it and, or it's called centering prayer, actually not contemplative prayer. And it has sounds that it'll make. Um, It'll guide you through. So you can do it straight from your phone. Um, I use that a lot. And if you have a Google home or an Alexa, you can just say, centering prayer. And it actually comes up centering prayer. <laughs> it'll teach you, it'll, it'll play like music behind if you want that or a set of timer okay. and things. So there's so many resources out there. Um, I use the app, but okay. there's books as well. Do you typically use one word or do you use a phrase? Um, it just depends. I usually just sit in a quiet place and I normally do it outside on my porch because I love to hear nature when I'm doing it. Um, because those are creative sounds where I can hear God. But sometimes I use one word. Sometimes I use a phrase. I think it's, I just sit there. I don't plan it. And I just, whatever comes out, it's almost like a breath prayer, something mm-hmm. out. And I'm, you know, I'm breathing in God and breathing out um, whatever's going on in my life. And, and I just sit and you get to this place where you're in in, it's almost like you're asleep, but you're not asleep. I don't mean mean it that way, but there's just this solemn state that you get to and Mm -hmm. your brain is just rested. And Mm. I'm so glad to hear that's, that's formative for you um, to reflect in your story, but also as you go forward um, to, uh, make sense of your call and to live into your call. Um, help me understand uh, when you um, when you think back on your call and what really formed you. Um, help me help me understand where it is that um, that you would hope others would reflect on their call and um, and and perhaps some guidance of for people to to really look back. Where can where can people grow? Where can people um, use what you have to say as as almost a, a launching off point to help them and, and, and make sense of their story? Absolutely. Well, Joy, I went into ministry as a second career. So I was in my 30s. I, I was working in the church part time, but I had my own business. And 
So for me, I felt like it was never an opportunity for me because I had little children and my I had a business and how is this going to work financially? And what I went to a youth retreat and God said, this is what I want you to do for the rest of your life. Like this is, I'm calling you to this point. And there was just this overwhelming sense in my heart. Like this is what I want to do. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know what that looked like, especially with, with a family and the financial responsibilities. How do you go back to school? And there was no seminaries around at that point and not near me anyway. And so I was driving down the road and God said, I want you to go to school. And I looked up and there was a college billboard right in front of me. And I was like, you're kidding me. Mm. Right. And so I said, I just have to, I just have to move forward and I have to trust what God is telling me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I did. And then I thought, you know, once I was in, in school, I had to finish some undergrad work. So as I was finishing my undergrad work, I thought, you know, God, if you really want me to do this, there's going to have to be a transition from the, the full-time work I'm doing to the full-time work you want me to do. What does that Mm. look like? And again, um, I said, I don't know how you're going to do this, but you're going to have to do it because I can't. And I was, I was laid off and given a, a a pretty good severance package um, with the company I was working with. Cause at that time I'd sold my business and it was like, God just opened the door and he made a way and I thought, okay, so I guess my biggest advice would be to trust your call and don't put mm-hmm. limitations of financial and those means, even though I know those are important, don't put those as, as limitations, but just allow God to use the resources around you to equip further equip you and open those doors because I'm here today as an ordained deacon serving for you know, the last 20 years as because he did that because he made the way. And sometimes we put all these limitations in front of us and think we can't do it, but you can't. Sure. Um, God can make all things. Um, So that, I think that's my biggest advice is just keep true to your call and he'll make, he'll make the pathways open for you to, to explore that. I love that. Trusting in your call. And I think too, we often think um, as a call that only uh, persons going into or being called to ordain ministry receive. And um, I, I, I would love for you to talk a little bit about the call to the local church and congregational care ministry. What have you seen? What encouragement would you give to trust that call into being a CCM? Oh my goodness. Um, Joy, this is one thing that excites me more than anything. We have, um, once I read the book and and we did a a seminar uh, training and we invited people that just had passion for people. I I didn't have any expectation. And when they went through the training and they realized their story, how their story met the passion and the needs of the world was unbelievable. Um, I've seen people step out of their comfort zone to, to use their gifts that they weren't using. And now they are leading teams. They're developing teams and making such a difference. Um, I just got an email today 
and it said pop pop and i was like what in the world is this <laughs> and our prayer team had received so many um affirmations of prayer and um praises that they named it uh power of prayer mm. pop and mm-hmm. They're just on fire praying together on Fridays at four o'clock and inviting the community to do that, calling for That's prayer awesome. and people going out to, to individuals. And we have a, a lady who leads a Barnabas team, which is uh, a lot like Stephen's ministry, working with individuals one on one. And so they were visiting with someone and they've become a friend to that person and continue mm-hmm. to minister to them quite uh, twice a month. And in that process, the person was in the hospital. We didn't know this person was getting ready to die, but that Barnabas person was the last person they talked to and prayed with and heard scripture from. And so what's happening in these individuals is that it's ignited a calling in them that they realized that at Pentecost, it wasn't just for pastors that were all the priesthood of all believers and yeah. they have a specific gift that they can give and they're living that out. And that to me is like true discipleship. And I'm just overwhelmed just to be able to watch it is just such a gift. What a blessing. Well, and I'm sure your passion and love for people just exudes. And so when they see that um, I can imagine people want to, Um, be a part of that, be a part of that. But you also are helping to foster and encourage uh, and bring that out in people too. I think that's incredible to have an important uh, leader in their lives to look up to, um, to, to have that fostered within them. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. I love that. Trust your call. Always going back to trusting your call, which your story shapes so much of that call what has happened to you, the good, the bad, the uncomfortable, the challenging, the, the uncertain times, the, the mysterious times, all of that truly propels you forward in where God's leading you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm curious now, where are your biggest passions within um, the capital C church, big church, not necessarily your local church, but uh, church universal. Ooh, I have so many. Let's see. I, <laughs> I have a lot. I, my biggest passion is um, to see the church in the kingdom of God, be the kingdom of God, like mm. the, the diversity of the church and, I work a lot with homeless uh, people. And so just this uniting of people, how, Mm -hmm. how God created us to be, that's my, my, my number one passion is to see the church be the church. Um, And I'm not talking about the church as a building. I'm talking about the body of Christ and, um, and, and see God's kingdom just really flourish and Mm -hmm. we're, it doesn't matter what race or ethnicity, uh, gender, whatever. I, I just want to see God's kingdom come, come together and, and fulfill his will. Uh, that's a huge thing for me. Uh, there's so much segregation and polarization that 
-hmm. sometimes it's hard to see that. And that's one thing I'm really passionate about. Well, and I think it's interesting you mentioned that your work with um, persons who are homeless, because there's so much stigma and judgment on, on those people. And, and I can see you as a little girl, um, you know, you experienced that same judgment and exclusion and almost, you know, your family kind of turning their nose, you know, down at you, um, which is sadly a lot of what our society does to people um, now with, with people who, um, that, that do not have homes at this time. Absolutely. And, you know, there is a, a stigma, especially even if for those that go to like a soup kitchen for dinner, I've had this conversation where, where they'll go, well, there's a lot of homeless. Well, not everybody that goes to the soup kitchen is homeless. That True. is a stereotype, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our, our, our homeless friends are, are not homeless now. And so we know them by name. So they yeah. are Don or they're, you know, whatever name. And sure. um, we, we keep in touch with them because we've built relationships and we mm-hmm. have spoken to them. They're just at a different place in life. When you're looking mm-hmm. at a 67 year old that's homeless and you're going, you know, some people have a, a an idea that maybe they're on drugs or, or this. No, they're just down on their luck because sure. the elderly have no place to live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if there's mm-hmm. a housing shortage or they can't live on um, social security, you know, those are the kind of things that break your heart or they can't pay, pay their bill. And so a, a landlord kicks them out. And so sure. what do you do? You have to love them in those moments and, and yeah. help them find places to yep. It's to be. being the hands and feet of Christ and caring for those. I think, you know, even just on the, on the backside of, of COVID, you know, the last year and a half, it's been interesting to see how many people just live that paycheck to paycheck and are, are literally, you know, one crisis away from being homeless or from um, being in a position where they, they need handouts. And, I think that really exposed a lot in our society, this pandemic did. Um, And it opened up so many doors that the church can um, and needs to step in and, and serve and and be there and witness to um, how unjust our society really is. Absolutely. We had just a quick story. I hope we have time, but I, when the pandemic went on, in first started that first month in March, we realized that a lot of our homeless folks, how are they getting showers or, or just using the bathroom, sure. whether they lived in a tent or on the street or in their car, all the public bathrooms um, and the shower facilities that they were used to were closed. And so we got with the people from the, the town and we said, you know, we need to do something. And so there was a collaborative effort of bringing clothes every single week for them to have, you know, clean underwear and socks and, you know, clothing. And mm-hmm. even, even if they had to throw them away, we realized that at that point, it wasn't what we wanted, but at that point we, we knew that's probably what was going to happen. But now that's come into a, a full fledged ministry for the community wow. where they get free clothes all the time now. And sure. there's so much, so much relationships that's been built because of it. And it's, it's not just 
this handout. It's almost mm-hmm. like this is this is my family. This is my church. It's become like this fresh expression of what Jesus looks like in the middle of 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 life. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been very interesting. But to pay attention to those moments to say, wow, how do I need to care for somebody? And it could be in the smallest thing. Mm-hmm. We don't think about mm-hmm. that. If we're not in that place, we don't think about it. Exactly. So much that we take for granted where others, it's an incredible blessing. And we have that opportunity to to be that blessing to them. Mm, that's Absolutely. beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, I'm sure in, in future podcasts, we'll continue to get to know you and hear more about your passions. And I just, I'm so grateful, Monica, that you could share with us and our listeners um, about you. And um, there's so many more exciting things ahead for for you and for this entire team. And so we're looking forward to that. I would love to close us in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, uh, thank you for Monica, for, for nudging her to love your people. God, all of the really difficult painful stories of her life. You've you've allowed her to transform that into something so beautiful that is there for others. And God, I just pray for anyone listening, um, if they have painful experiences of their past, God, just to, um, to transform that pain. God, help them to use it for good because we know all things work together for good and you are there to um, to help us transform that pain into something um, so beautiful. While we may feel broken, oh God, you look at us as a whole person ready to, um, to uh, receive your love and your grace and in turn help others experience that same love and grace. Oh God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website, thecaringcongregation.com, for more resources and information on seminars and our newly released books. Be sure to like and share this podcast and subscribe to this channel. Join us next week as we continue season two, further exploring topics on congregational care ministry. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.